Welcome to the Hyper Fast Show, where we believe unlimited growth in business and life is created by surrounding yourself with people who have been where you are going. Learning from others allows you to compress time and grow hyper fast. And now, here are your hosts, Kerry Shaw and Dan Lesniak. Kerry and Dan are real estate developers, best-selling authors, billion-dollar agents, and million-dollar agent makers. And now, get ready to grow hyper fast. Welcome to the Hyper Fast Show. In today's episode, we come to you from the Hyper Fast Sales Summit, where Ryan Serhant, New York billion dollar real estate broker, author, and television personality, delivers an incredible keynote speech on the power of thinking like a salesperson and creating a resolution for the next decade. We hope you enjoy. So, who in here uh, watches Million Dollar List in New York? So, you see it? Yeah. Uh, and I wrote a book. Have you read that? Okay, so like four people. That's okay, good. That's okay, good. Um, it's crazy, actually, because I just did this uh, the VIP luncheon and got to have a really, really cool chat with a bunch of people over there, which was awesome. And one thing that we kept talking about, kind of at lunch, was was like goals for next year, right? Like what we do, kind of going forward into 2020, which really got me thinking. And I was sitting next to two guys um, who were in the armed services, Mike and Eric. Are you guys in here? So they're right there, yeah, which is insane. And they were telling me how 10 years ago they were in the armed services, right? Crazy. And now they're here selling real estate and it completely changed their lives. And here I was thinking, okay, well, 10 years ago, 2019, 2009, I was still hand modeling. Um, and I was still, are they laughing at me? I was, I was how else do you think I'm gonna pay my bills? I was in New York City, I had absolutely no money. I think a lot of people have this idea of me when they see me on television or the vlog or on social media and they just think like maybe I was born in a suit. I was not born in this suit whatsoever. I was actually, I was born in Texas uh, and I moved. Shit. I was born in Texas uh, on a mattress in my house um, and I moved eight times before I hit fourth grade. We bounced from house to house to house to house to house. And then I grew up a little bit outside Boston. And the only thing I was ever really good at was theater. It's like the only thing. My parents made me take every single class. Just to let you know kind of like who I am and what you're, what you're dealing with. Uh, real estate was by far the furthest thing in my mind you could possibly think of. Like if you would go back in time 30 years ago, 20 years ago, and tell young me one day, in 2019, you are going to be at the hypervast event talking about real estate and how you sell in New York City. I would think you're fucking crazy because it was just so far away from me. But the one thing I was good was theater. I would make these little movies with my little brother, and I kind of do the same thing now. It's not my little brother, sort of. Um, and my parents made me play every single class. I did play every single sport. Right? I was the tallest one in my entire family. My parents made me play every single sport, but I was kind of overweight. I didn't really like sports. I like watching sports, but I wasn't really good at them. So like, I had this distinct memory when I was in fifth grade of playing baseball because I had to. I had to play one sport a year right, to see if it would stick for me. My parents wanted me to be well-rounded. And I was like right field. And I remember my dad coming out, grabbing my hand in front of everyone and telling me, this sport is not for you and pulling me off the field. And you laugh, yeah, it's funny now, isn't it? Yeah, ruined my life in fifth grade. Girlfriend that I thought I was gonna have was like, that guy is a loser. Um, but I was good at like playing dress up, you know? I was good at doing like kind of the community church plays and things like that. And so then as I got older and older and older, it was the only thing that I was really good at. So I went to school and tried to do theater and I liked it, right? I kind of. To be honest, and to be a little bit vulnerable for a second, like the reason I liked theater and the reason that I liked kind of doing plays and doing little films was it gave me the ability to be someone other than myself. And I think for a long time, I, I really didn't like myself. I didn't like being myself. I didn't like the person who I saw in the mirror, which for a really long time was someone who was, was overweight, with really bad skin, like no self-confidence, right? I was, had really insecure about absolutely everything. Um, and that was who I was for a really, really long time. But if I was doing a play or a little movie or something where it didn't depend on the ability to throw a fucking ball, like 
I could go away for a second and become somebody else, right? And through improv, I could pretend to be in different situations, and I got to learn how to work with people, even though I'm really, like, really very much an introvert on the inside. I don't like big groups of people. I don't like walking into rooms and trying to figure out what I'm going to say to that person because do they even care about what I'm going to say? It really, really makes me uncomfortable. But when I put on like, the costume, it worked. And so that's what I went to college for. And then when I graduated college, I said, you know what? I've got one life to live. And the quote we just talked about at lunch was, I'd rather regret the things I did than the things I never tried. Like, I, I live and breathe by that. And I said to myself, okay, I could go home to Colorado. Who here's from Colorado? Here. Oh, hey, oh, hey, Colorado. Yeah, the two right here. Yeah, I could go home to Colorado where my parents had moved, okay? And I could have painted fence, and I could have married a cowgirl and then died. Like, that's the way my, my brain works. Like, I think so far ahead into the future, I'm like, okay, if I do this, then that's going to happen, and then that's going to happen, and then that's going to happen, and then I'm going to die, and no one's going to care. And that's the end of my life. So I can't do that. So I had a little bit of money saved up from working in construction every summer since I was a little kid. If you've ever carried an 80-pound bag of roofing shingles up your shoulder for 60 days every day in the heat, you know what I'm talking about. All I know is that I went to school, went to college. I kind of like theater. I should probably go try that out. Actually, I took the LSAT to go to law school, bombed it, totally bombed it. Studied, did everything, and then was able to go to my parents and say, listen, I got a 147, what do you want from me, right? I think the one school I actually applied to and got into was like the Phoenix Online Law School, if you've seen that commercial. Like, I think they took me without the application actually going in, so you should check, check that place out. Um, be careful if you meet lawyers from that school. And so I, I, I had to figure out how I was going to make money in New York City. I had two roommates. We lived at 354 East 66th Street. This was in 2006, apartment 3A. I remember every single address, by the way. Um, and we took a one-bedroom, and we converted it into a three-bedroom, right? And honestly, I don't know why I'm getting so personal with you people. I don't even know you. Like, one of the first things I did when I got to New York City was find a dermatologist. Because I was like, I, I can't be an actor in New York City with really bad skin, and I got to figure this out. So I found a dermatologist, and it was like the first thing I did. Then from there, I went and found a person to do headshots, and I, I decided that I was going to make this my business. Like, okay, I don't know anybody here. I don't have any connections here. I'm going to figure out how to become an actor in New York City without, without a leg up. Sounds super, super easy. Both of my roommates were both paralegals and were on tracks to then work at law firms, and so they worked all the time. And my dad told me one thing when he came and dropped me off in 2006 and saw our terrible, terrible apartment. He's like, no matter what you do, you're going to work harder than they do, you're going to wake up before they do, and you're going to go to bed after they do because you don't have a job. You're an actor, right? which to my dad meant prostitute. Right? But like, I don't think he, he never, we never talked about it. It wasn't like the conversation we had where I was like, I'm going to an audition, and then he would cry just a little bit. Uh, and so, but I took that to heart. I was like, okay, if I'm going to be successful in this business, I'm going to work harder than my paralegal roommates do who both work at corporate law firms. So I would wake up at 5 or 6 a.m., depending on the day. I would go to actors' equity auditions at 42nd Street and stand in line to be seen to possibly play a clock in, in a play, right? And then I would sit there for eight hours and then not get cast because, oh, they'd already cast that part three weeks ago, but because of union rules, they had to have the audition anyway. And I would submit myself for the most random things, little things here and there. Actually, I did an internet reality show called Intern, if you look it up on CBS.com. I think it's still there. And it was to find the next soap star. And I did Intern season two. There's a fact about me you didn't know. I got onto a, it was an acting show, a reality show, where you'd have to audition over and over and over to see who would get onto the soap opera. And in each audition, they would fire one of us. It was the worst experience of my entire life. Because you do an audition, and you're like, okay, please don't get fired from an acting show, that will be the worst thing ever. Years later, please don't get fired from a reality real estate show, that would be the worst thing ever. And somehow I won that show, I got voted on by America, or like the five people that watched it on the internet. I got onto the soap opera, and a few weeks later, they then killed me off. 
So my big break then died really, really, really quickly. And I was basically out of money. And so then the only way I could figure out how to make money was with my hands. That's a true story. If you Google it, Ryan Sirhan hand model, it's a real thing. From 2007 to 2008, right until getting into real estate, I made money as a hand model. All right? And I hope by now you understand real estate was the furthest thing from my mind. Being a salesperson was the furthest thing from my mind literally until August 2008. Because there's only so many hand jobs that I can give for 150 bucks an hour and doing the... What? My dad hasn't heard that one. No way. You can Google it. It's there. Not on the websites you think. It's there. I was holding phones for AT&T and espresso capsules, and I'd have to like go like this ever so gently. It's a really hard job, right? You laugh. Really, really hard. Physically demanding compared to anything I do now to sell apartments, by far. But I still had to figure out how to pay rent, and I'd given myself a two-year window and I didn't know what to do. And like I said, I don't want to bartend. I didn't want to wait tables. I didn't want to have a temp job. To me, if I got a survival job, if I got a job just to pay the bills, I'd be doing that for the rest of my life because it would get comfortable. And then you get into this comfort level of paying bills, trying to go off and do your own thing. And then slowly but surely, I'd end up just pushing off my dream, my dream, my dream. And I knew that if I left New York City, I would never come back. Right? New York City is way too hard, it's way too expensive, it is way too tough. And if I left because I needed to go save up some money or do something, I would just never come back. And then I'd die. Like, that sounds insane, but that's the way my mind works. It's like, okay, so I have to figure out how to stay here. And I had a friend, and this is in the summer of 2008, who said, listen, this theater thing that you like, where you like, you know, do your theater stuff with your people and your things, like, that's kind of what real estate is about. He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, real estate agents, you don't really do anything, <laughs> right? All you have to do is meet someone who wants a house you didn't build, okay? And connect them to a seller who just wants to find a buyer. Or you have to go meet a seller who owns a house that you possibly didn't even sell to them and then go out there and find a buyer, probably through other real estate agents. I'm like, that's not a job. That sounds so stupid. He's like, no, 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 this is a real career. A realtor is a real, real career. I'm like, yeah, but most realtors are, I don't know, like way older than, I'm 25 years old. Like, I, what are you talking about? I don't know anybody, I'm not from New York. I don't even know the difference between Broadway and West Broadway. I literally just knew the little area of the Upper East Side that I lived in, and then I moved to Koreatown um, at 38 West 31st Street, and that was it, and like where I would go for my little auditions. He's like, it doesn't matter. Just memorize information. You spent your whole life learning to memorize. That's it. If people think you're too young, you're going to know more than everybody else. That's the only thing you're going to focus on. That's where you're going to get your confidence. It's like, ugh. But I had nothing else to do. So I got my license, which cost like a couple hundred bucks, I think, at the time. I did all my clicking online because the barrier of entry for real estate agents in the United States is like downstairs, right? And if they'd let me do it, they'd let anybody do it. And I got my license and I started on September 15th, 2008, which was the day that Lehman Brothers filed for bankruptcy. Hey, if you remember that day. And in hindsight, it was the absolute best day that I could have started because everybody was getting out of the business. The market was totally, totally terrible for the first couple years that I was in the business. And to me, I just thought that real estate was really, 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 really hard. Like, I, the chances that my client is going to lose their job is pretty high, but I guess this is just how it works. And slowly but surely, I became addicted to this idea that my job, the way I'd make an income, the way that I would pay my rent, the way that I would buy dinners, the way I'd go on dates, all depended on my ability to go outside and meet new people. Like, that was it. Everything else was just memorizing information about buildings, learning the city so I could walk around, memorizing more information so people would then think I was older. I stopped dyeing my hair because I had to on the soap, so I had like this jet brown hair, which was weird, and let the gray hairs come out naturally because I started graying when I was 16, and I was always embarrassed about it before, but now people are like, you look older, except for your face, but the hair 
you look like you have experience. And I was like, yes, I do. Yes, I do. I've been doing this for a long, long time since yesterday. So my first clients are people I meet on the street, right? And all of a sudden, instead of waiting actors' equity auditions and sending my photos in and doing all the weird stuff that I was doing, I found myself to be way happier showing people apartments and going out and trying to network and meet other people who had apartments to talk about or houses to talk about. And I knew nobody, so I had no barrier of entry. There was no shame for me. I could just talk to anybody. Like, oh, I know a broker already. I'm like, well, where are they? They're not here. I am right now. Let's do this. And you laugh, but that works, right? It worked for me for a few people when I first started because I just had no shame and all I had to do was meet people. And my first year was really, 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 really hard. I worked above a burger heaven on 49th and Madison. If you've watched my vlog or watched the show or read the book, you know that a lot of my first clients came from Starbucks on that corner that's still there to this day, meeting pregnant women, trying to sell them bigger apartments, meeting foreigners at Saks Fifth Avenue, trying to get them to buy apartments because I would totally profile them. If they had more than two shopping bags, they clearly could afford an apartment from me. Right? Because what was my alternative? My alternative literally, literally, for me, was to move back home to Colorado which is a beautiful place for these two people. <laughs> but for me, I, I didn't want to do real estate in Colorado, and I didn't want to move home. Moving home felt like failure to me. And that first year was really, really tough. I completely ran out of money, and I had no idea what to do. I, I couldn't afford groceries at the grocery store at one time. Like, it was just a mess, and I had, still, I had no, no self-worth. One, as an actor who couldn't make it, right? We got fired off an internet reality show that turned into a soap opera thing. And two, as a real estate agent that didn't know anybody and knew nothing about real estate in New York City. So to anyone out there who's listening, who's brand new, who feels a little lost, I promise you I was more lost. And to anyone who's been in the business for a while and is trying to find your way or trying to get her to a place that's a little bit better and a little bit bigger, right, that was the next 10 years for me. And so what we just talked about at lunch was like, what are we going to do next year? What's our New Year's resolution next year? And the way I think about it, it's like, okay, well, you know, it took me three hours to get here on the train from New York City, but really, it took me a decade to get here. The only reason I'm standing on this stage is because everything that I just went through for the last decade and more. So like, not what are we going to do next year? Like, what are we going to do for the next decade? Like, have you thought about that? In two months, we're going to start a brand new decade, which is just crazy. So, like, forget your New Year's resolution. Let's start focusing on our decade resolutions. Like, write that down, because that's what drives me right now for the next two months, is focusing on my decade resolution. And my whole first 10 years were completely dictated by hustle. That's all I had. That's all I had, because my back was up against the wall. And if you read my book, I, I talk about it a lot, because like, I honestly feel that most people need to find that wall. Like, what pushes you? And then write it down and remember it every single morning. And for me, my wall was not being able to afford yogurt and tofu at the Food Emporium grocery store on 59th Street and having to leave because I was embarrassed and then crying on the subway. Like, that was my wall. No matter what I do for the rest of my life, I will never be poor again. That is it. That is my line. I don't care what you say to me. I will outwork, outthink, and outmaneuver every single person in this room because I will never go back to that subway ever again. And that is still, to this day, that is my wall. I'm going to work my ass off because that's all I have. That's all I have. I don't have, like... You know, a higher education where I could have gone off and been a mathematician. I can't go work for a bank. Like, I, there's nothing else that I could do. Now, you could say, oh, Ryan, there's a thousand things you could do. Well, sure. Right? But life is short, and we only get one shot. And I want to make sure that I make the most of it and that I'm happy. And that hustle, I think, is what my dad kind of imparted into me when I first started, when I came to New York City, where he said, listen, you've got to work harder than these guys. Are you a real estate agent looking to grow your business in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area? 
The Kerry Shell and Orange Line Living Team is looking for talented, motivated people who want to be a part of a collaborative and competitive team poised to become number one in the world by 2021. Our new agents have success at a rate that is nearly nine times the industry average, and our experienced agents average over $252,000 a year. Our industry-leading lead generation, training, and support systems put our agents in the best possible position for success. If you want to work hard, serve more clients, have fun, and make more money, then call us today at 703-661-9756 or go to kerryshellcareers.com. Honestly, one of my first sale clients was in 2009. Her name was Hazel Kim. Talk to you about how I get deals, okay? It's still kind of how I get them to this day. Got a random internet lead from a woman in China, right? And the email was in Chinese. But I had no other business. So clearly, when I saw that, I was like, this isn't spam. I'm going to translate this, okay? And this is kind of before Google Translate, like back in 2009. So I found someone in my office who could speak the language and who could read it. I said, what, what does this say? What does this say? And they read it to me. And they said, I will help you with this client if you cut me in on the deal because you're definitely going to need help because you don't speak Mandarin. It's like, okay, that's great. So that taught me early on, one, use other people who are in my office to help me. And we talked about this at lunch too, that I'd rather make $1 than $0. And I'll always set myself up to make 50 cents instead of negative 50 cents. I am not greedy whatsoever. I want to do volume. I want to do as many deals as I physically can. That, that's, that's my thing, right? I want to have as many balls in the air as I possibly can to deal with as many clients as I possibly can because I can't control anything else. I can't control the market. I can't control the stock market. I can't control the fact that Hazel Kim just landed in my lap as a random buyer from China who saw a random listing that I had on Craigslist, because that's where we used to post all our real estate listings, especially when I first started, because you just can't, right? There's so many things you can't control. And Hazel Kim was one of my first sale clients. And I will never forget going back and forth in emails and having to go to the office, because it's the only place that this girl would help me with, to write the emails back to Hazel Kim, to send listings back and forth, to see if she was real, to send listings back and forth, to see if she was real. And I just figured, like, in New York City, this is what it's all about. Dealing with foreign clients, billionaires, Chinese millionaires, they come in, I'm going to crush this business over and over and over. And that first deal took me like a year. And when they showed up, she showed up and I did everything I possibly could to be cool, right? I got a car, like a black SUV. I went out and got a suit. I didn't really have a lot of suits back then. I had khaki pants, collared shirts, and cowboy boots. Those were my nice clothes. But I didn't have suits, so I remember going to Macy's and getting the cheapest suits I could possibly find, right? I had somebody pretend to be my assistant because I thought that they're coming over from China. They're super rich. They probably want to see me and my entire entourage. And I, what? Like, listen, it's... You gotta do what you gotta do. Had this whole tour set up with them, and they barely spoke English. And they came with three of their kids, and they were jet lagged the whole time. So most of the time, they were super sleepy, and then they would nap in the car while we were going from apartment to apartment to apartment. And there's me only doing tiny little rentals, thousand to three thousand dollar a month rentals, having to, every time we pull up in front of the next listing, gently wake them up. Say, Miss, Miss, Mrs. Hazel Kim, we're we're now at 350 West 42nd Street. I'm sorry to wake you. And then she had to wake up her husband, and then we had to wake up the kids, and they'd all get really, really angry, and slowly but surely we'd get out of the car and go up and see a two-bedroom. And they wouldn't like it. They'd hate it. They'd yell about something. We'd go right back to the car, and they'd go back to sleep. <laughs> it's very much like it's, just, it's burned into my memory. Because at the same time, I was really excited to have a buyer. Like, this is what real estate's all about. I got a Chinese millionaire buyer from the internet. That's awesome. I'm going to get all of them. There's billions out there. All I got to do is figure out how to market to all of them, and then maybe they'll all email me, and then I'm going to get a bus with beds in it, and I'm going to be the broker who picks them all up at JFK, and I'll be like, hey, you tired? You want some real estate? Jump on the Ryan bus. And I'll have it translated and everything. Yeah, I think outside the box, OK? Still haven't done that. Still need to do that, by the way. I'm going to make a little mental note to myself. And eventually, they found this apartment at 80 Riverside Boulevard, which is on the Upper West Side. Um, apartment 21L, as in Larry. 
and it was asking two and a half million dollars. And obviously, it's 2009, the market is on fire in a bad way, like it's burnt down to the ground. Not great, right? No deals were getting done. And so they offer 1.5. So a million off. Classic, classic. Like, I've only known a good market in my career so far for like two years. And even in those two years, which is probably 2012, 2013 in New York City, it didn't feel like a good market, right? Good markets only come in hindsight where you're like, wow, man, things used to be good because now they suck. Wow, remember when we used to sell things? Remember when we used to put listings on the market and people would show up, right? That's a whole other conversation we could have. But that was my first deal, and so I had to figure out how to make that offer. I didn't know what to do, and the girl that was helping me with the language was the one who was negotiating it kind of back and forth because she was translating it to me, but I wanted to be the one that was presenting it to the developer because this was a new condominium building, so it was really, really exciting, and I wanted to present myself as the best agent ever, so I remember before presenting the offer, I built out my email signature because I didn't really have one before. It was just like Ryan Surhan's agent. Right? But I built it out to make it like really long because I thought that if you had a big, long email signature, that meant that you were serious and that people would take you seriously. Looking back now, I, I realized that it was super annoying, but like, I just made up a bunch of stuff on there where I was like, number one real estate agent with all these disclaimers and all this stuff because I wanted them to accept the offer, not knowing that you know a million dollars off the asking price is a bit insane. But they countered. They countered at two and a quarter. They came back $250,000 off the asking price because the market was terrible. No one was buying anything else. And I did what every brand new real estate agent does in that exact moment. I started cashing checks, right? Not physically, I had no checks to cash, but in my brain, it's like, dude, if I get them up to two and a quarter, percentages, math, multiplication, I'm gonna be rich. This is the greatest business in the world. All I have to do is meet people from other countries, get them really excited, let them nap in my car, show them apartments, and they just pick one. Oh, and the best part, I forgot to tell you this part. They were buying the apartment in New York City for their daughter, who was in utero. You know what that means? Daughter wasn't born yet. Daughter, she was pregnant. They were buying it as a future investment for the daughter because one day that daughter was going to go to Colombia. That's a real conversation. Real conversation. And I was just like, absolutely she will go to Colombia. Look how smart she is. Look at her in there, moving around with that brain and everything she's got going on. It's going to be great. And I didn't even know what to do. So like an idiot with my super long email signature because I didn't have a mentor when I first started. I didn't know who to talk to. I just had my translator trying to help me out. I like, I put that in the offer. I was like, I can't, I can't remember what the sponsor's name was, uh, but I think her name was Deborah. It's like, dear Deborah, on behalf of my clients, Mrs. Hazel Kim and her family, uh, we are making an offer on apartment 21L on behalf of her unborn child. Just because I thought it would, like, it would do something that would help, maybe, it didn't help. Because it made it seem like it was some bullshit offer that, from a, a broker that no one had ever heard of that had done zero business. Like, if you went to my website, it was just random rental listings that kind of looked like they were in Chicago. Um, and there's a reason for that is because I would steal photos from listings in Chicago, use them as listing photos, put those on Craigslist to bait and switch people. Right? That's what you would do as a brand new agent in New York City. Don't give me those looks. <laughs> don't, don't give me that look, right? I told you that first 10 years is all about the hustle for me, right? So then when someone would call and they'd be like, this apartment with this amazing view of Lake Michigan, like, you know, where is this? Like, that's on West 87th, come with me, come with me. And then you show them other apartments, and I was really good at having conversations with people just to talk to them, because back to my actor days and my improv days, I didn't have to be Ryan. I got to be Ryan, the real estate agent. Right? I got to be Ryan, the guy that knew what he was doing, that had all this confidence, that had been in this business for a really, really long time. I got to be Ryan with confidence. And that was kind of the character that I was allowed to play. And I know that sounds crazy and maybe a little psycho, but it's what worked for me 
to be able to show up with people I don't know, meet them on a street corner, and show them listings that didn't exist, and then show them other things, and actually get them to buy stuff, and actually get them to rent stuff. So those initial deals, and my Hazel Kim deal, which is completely insane, taught me that power of confidence, which I, which I now call big money energy, because it really, really kind of imparted on me my ability to walk into a room and show somebody that you know what you're doing and that you have confidence without actually having to have experience. And people just naturally believe me, and I learned that through improv classes and through everything else. So the sponsor countered it two and a quarter, and then I had to get these people up, right? And they wanted to buy an apartment while they were still in New York City. And I'm just telling you this deal because I just remembered it and it was my first sale. And I feel like a lot of people think that I do these big deals and they're super easy and we sell them all at open houses like you see on TV. Doesn't happen. Okay, just making that super clear. And so they decided to counter 175 because they wanted to go tit for tat. So it was two and a quarter and then 175. And then the sponsor came back and said, we meet them halfway and they do the deal at $2 million, which was an amazing deal for this apartment. And then I couldn't get them on the phone. And I knew that they were flying out the next morning. And I will never forget that night in my apartment at 38 West 31st Street where I shared a bathroom with a lot of other people, um, freaking out and not being able to sleep. Because I'm like, maybe, they, maybe I pissed them off. Maybe I said the wrong thing. Maybe the girl who's helping me wasn't really translating this whole time. Maybe she was bad-mouthing me. And I don't even know what's going on. Right? Like, I don't know. You ever been in a situation where then there's like that limbo in that deal period where you're like, is it going to happen? Like, what do I do? And they, they wouldn't get back to me. They'd always gotten back to me. By email, BBM back in the day. Remember the Blackberry BBM, right? That's how we were BBMing each other. We BBM everything. Okay? And they wouldn't get back to me. And I, so I couldn't sleep. So all that money I thought I was going to have, all of a sudden now, it's going to be completely gone. Now in my brain, this business sucks. And now I hate this business. Isn't it amazing, especially when you first start, when you do a deal, real estate is the greatest business in the world. This is awesome. Screw grad school, mom and dad. Yeah, this is why I'm doing this. Next day, that deal dies, and you're like, mom, please help me. I need rent money. I hate this business. I don't know what to do with my life. That's kind of how I felt in that moment. Kind of went back and forth, back and forth. And because I wasn't sleeping, at 2 in the morning, Hazel Kim BBMs me, says, we awake now. Can we meet to discuss the deal? Yeah, 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 yeah. They were sleeping, jet lagged, they were tired. They were staying at the St. Regis. So immediately, I called the girl who was helping me, and I said, you need to wake up. Actually, I called her like four times. I felt really, really bad. But then I was like, no, I don't fucking feel bad. Pick up your phone. We got deals to do. <laughs> She's like, what? Like, we gotta go to the St. Regis right now. This is some James Bond shit, okay? We gotta do deals. I'm a New York City licensed associate salesperson, and we gotta move to our clients' demands. I'm pretty sure she had a heart attack on the other line. She's like, are you okay? Are you drinking? Is there something wrong? I'm like, no, I have no business, and this is the one deal I have. And if it gets done, I'm gonna stay a real estate agent. If it doesn't get done, I have no money, and I've gotta go home. And she's like, okay, I'll meet you there. So we get up there, we go there, and she shows up, and I will forever thank her for the rest of the time. She shows up with a McDonald's bag full of hamburgers and french fries. I'm like, what are you, you, you hungry? You got the munchies? It was, it's like 2.45 in the morning. She's like, no, they're tired, they're jet lagged, they're in America, they're gonna want McDonald's. I'm like, ugh. And in my mind, I'm like, this is terrible, this is awful, this is gonna be bad, I don't wanna walk in here with this bag of middle of the night McDonald's. The minute we walked into their suite at the St. Regis, all the kids ran up so excited. So excited for their food. And she looked at me and she gave me one of those looks. That's like, my split just went up. You know those looks? <laughs> you know when you co-broke a deal and like you're about to lose it, but then the other agent who's helping you gives you that look in your mind. You're just like, why are they looking at me that way? But you know they want more money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so we talked, well, by we talked, I meant I talked slowly, she translated, and they agreed to do the deal for two million bucks. And, yeah, <laughs> right. And then, what no one really talks about in real estate school, because you spend a lot of time talking about ethics and rules and this and that, is like the process of actually selling a home, okay? And in New York City, we don't do contracts. I didn't show up with a contract. 
My only job is to connect people, negotiate a number that means absolutely nothing. It's not real. There's no checks. There's no money. Good faith deposits. No nothing. We don't have escrow agents. We don't have any of that. All our offers are through text message, emails, over the phone. They're verbal. That's a real offer. It's a wild, wild west. And then you pass it off to attorneys. And the buyers have to have a real estate attorney and the sellers have to have a real estate attorney. They draft contracts and then they fight and kill the deal. That's what happens in New York. You work for a year to try to put a deal together. Then you go to an attorney and you say, hey, listen, just do the contract, protect their deposit, everything's going to be fine. And they're like, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. We'll get back to you. And you're like, please, please. I should have done better on my, my LSAT. I should have figured this out. I could have like, negotiated my own deals. Thankfully, those two attorneys were really eager to get this deal done because the buyers actually wanted it, the sellers needed to sell it, and we negotiated it, but it took a really, really long time. Like my stress level, I think it took like three weeks to negotiate that contract. And then, and then, the other thing they don't tell you is that when you sign a contract, you then have to send this thing that's called a deposit, right? So then we had to wait for this deposit to come from China. Super easy, right? Super easy. Now, not easy. Back then, also not easy, but still we had to wait. And every single day, I'm like going more and more and more into credit card debt, trying to figure out what to do, thinking about this deal closing. We're still trying to do my little rentals and everything, right? Over here, that's why I walk this way, because I put them over here, my little rentals over here. Um, and, uh, and they finally sent the money, and we finally had contracts on contracts, and no one told me, but they put in a 120-day closing window, which in New York City also means you basically have five to six months to close because there's nothing you can do, right? Because the buyer is the one in all the power. So now I just did this $2 million deal. I'm counting the money. I'm like moving out of my apartment in my head. I'm like, this is what life is all about. I am the greatest real estate agent in the history of the world. I just negotiated a trade deal with fucking China, okay? <laughs> in the St. Regis at 2 a.m. with a McDonald's bag, all right? Politicians, try that, why don't you? Okay? Now we gotta wait four or five or maybe six months to close. What am I gonna do? I didn't know what to do. It was, okay, now I got this deal that's in contracts, but I can't get the money, so now I gotta figure out how to be a real estate agent. That limbo time was very much kind of what has brought me to this day today. That was in 2009. And that deal also, to get her there, taught me about one thing that I talk about all the time, and if you read the book, you're gonna be like, oh my God, don't talk about it again, but I'm going to, is the power of follow-up, okay? The three Fs, if you haven't read the book, get it. If you don't want to, then fine, whatever. We've sold so many, I'm fine. <laughs> the three Fs, it's follow-up, follow-through, follow-back, okay? Write that down on top of the things that you'll remember today from this moment of greatness. Because I remembered when doing that deal, I had now had time. I'm like, okay, how am I going to move forward? Like, how am I gonna move forward and not just be a real estate agent whose whole career is contingent upon random people from random countries emailing him and then wanting to meet in the middle of the night? Like, those are gonna be the outlier deals. And sure, if one comes, that's great. If it doesn't, but I need to figure out how to build a business, right? So I'm gonna use that hustle blood and that hustle mind flow that I have, everything my dad taught me, all the ridiculous things that I went through as a little kid, all those insecurities, I'm gonna put them into a ball of fire and I'm gonna use that fire to fuel me going forward. And my secret sauce, if anyone ever asks me, they're like, how do you sell so much? How do you do this? How did you build that? How did you do everything? And this year we'll do probably like between closed and sold, um, my team will probably do like 1.3 billion or so, right? Just on my team. You don't have to clap for that, right? I have a large team that helps me, but we are relentless in the work, okay? And a big part of that is because we are incredibly disciplined because that outlier deal, as great as it was, and it did eventually close, really stressed me out. Really stressed me out. Like, I, I can't have a career based on deals like this. I need to figure out how to be a real estate agent because I'm gonna plant my flag in New York City. I'm not from here. Born in Texas, grew up outside Boston. I'm gonna figure this out. 
all those other real estate agents that are 10, 20, 30 years older than me, who went to school here, who have parents here, who've gotten leg ups from their CEOs, I don't have any of that. Good, I'm gonna put that into my fire bucket. I'm gonna keep that right here in my gut, like right underneath my rib cage. And every morning when I wake up, that's what's gonna fuel me to do even more. Even if the market tanks, even if that seller drops off the face of the earth, even if that buyer then goes and buys another house with somebody else, which is gonna happen over and over and over and over. And so I made sure, just like I did with Hazel Kim to get her to New York, that I would follow up, follow up, follow up with everybody until they die. If you know me, and if you're in my database, you know I will email you over and over and over and over. And I don't just email people with nothing. Okay? My system of follow-up is broken down into threes. Follow up, follow through, follow back. So the first, the first step right, is following up, and that's actually following up with what you tell people you're going to do. So if you met me here, and a bunch of people have met me, okay, and you said, hey, I want you to be my referral broker in Richmond, right? one of you said that, and anywhere else, actually follow up with me. And if I don't respond, follow up with me. Don't harass me, but follow up with me. And I do the same thing with all of my clients because they're busy, they have lives. And that's what I learned with that Hazel Kiln deal. It's like, she's probably busy running an oil and gas empire in Beijing. I'm like this little broker in New York City who's super excited about her $2 million deal that literally means absolutely nothing to her because she's buying it for a baby that's not even born. So I gotta stay on top of her. I gotta make sure that she knows I'm the greatest real estate agent in the history of the world. And I'm the person that she needs to go to for all things real estate, especially for this deal which she better close on. So that's my follow-up. Right? Follow-through is then actually doing the things you say you're gonna do. It's the thing that probably gets me the most, most frustrated with people, especially people who work for me, especially my team members. If you say you're gonna do something, you have to do it. I have a one-strike policy. If you have a bad memory, you can't blame your bad memory. They invented pens for people like you, okay? They invented phones. You see an iPhone? There's a note section, type in it. If you have a bad memory, write things down. Your laziness to remember things is no longer an excuse because you have the ability to remember everything going forward. So if you tell someone you're gonna send them listings by five o'clock, don't send it by six. Be someone of your word and do it by 4.30. If you tell yourself, which is probably the most important part, that going forward in 2020, in the next decade, because that's what we just talked about, making a decade resolution, that you're gonna flip your business around and you're gonna do things differently and you're gonna follow everyone's systems here that you learned in these last two days or you're gonna meet five new people every single day, whatever you're going to do, actually do it. Like the only one who's stopping you from being more successful, I swear to God, is yourself, right? It's no one else. There's no one else. So that's why I work so hard all the time because it's the only thing that I can actually control. I can't control that I had bad skin for so long. I figured it out, but I couldn't control it, right? My weight, I could control. I figured that one out too. I can't control the market. I can't control Hazel Kim and her craziness and her nap schedule. I can't control anything else. I can't control so many things in my life. So I'm going to focus as a real estate agent, I'm becoming the best real estate agent in the history of the world, and I'm gonna do it through things I can control. And what you can control is the work. And then there's follow back, that's the three Fs. Okay, follow up, follow through, follow back. And that third F is going back to everybody you've ever met. Everyone you followed up with in the past. Everybody you knew in third grade, people you used to work with, that woman that you met, you got her contact information, you were buying a pumpkin, whatever it is. Going back and re-engaging. You can do it through newsletters and you can do it through personal follow-up. Like, that's it. I don't have some secret email database. I don't have some anything secret that anyone's ever given me. I got super lucky with a TV show in 2010. But let me tell you something. When was the last time you picked up the phone and called someone you saw on TV? I mean, maybe one person right here is like, I call the Kardashians every day, right? <laughs> you have a problem. You don't do it. Like when the show started, I thought like, boom, here we go. I made it. I'm on television now as a real estate agent. What is my life? That is so weird. Phone's gonna ring off the hook. Not a single person called. No one called. So then I had to figure out like, okay, well, 
all these expectations are here. What do I, what do, I do? You know who actually called in those first couple weeks when the show first came out? Other real estate agents. That's where a lot of the business for Million Dollar Listing comes from me. It's from people in this room. It's a big part of the reason I wanted to be here today. Like, I am pro-real estate agent, a thousand percent. That's why I wrote the book. That's why I put my course out. That's why I do the mentorship programs, everything, because I believe so strongly in this career where literally you can be a fat kid with bad skin who only likes theater and can't throw a ball, and you can become the number one selling real estate agent in New York City by the time you're 31. I outsell the next person below me by double. I went into Brooklyn two years ago. I'm now the number one selling agent in all of Brooklyn by $103 million. And I'm telling you, it's just discipline. Like, that's it. It's crazy. It's just the discipline of doing the work and doing the follow-up every single day. It's following up. It's following through. It's following back with everybody else. And it's leveraging your time. How often do people talk to you about time management? Right, time management, time management, time management. You gotta figure it out. This CRM or this, I do this. Oh, blah, 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 blah. It's like, oh my God. It's not real. I don't think it's real. I don't think time management is a real thing. Okay? I think you wake up, you live your life, you go to bed. We do the absolute best we possibly can. I have a wife, I have a baby, I do the best I can. I wanna work as hard as I can, I do the best I possibly can. And I want to make the most of every single day because I have only so much time. Because now looking back on it, like, dude, like 10 years ago, I was making more money holding cell phones for AT&T being hung upside down so they could take a photo of my hands with the blood drained out of my veins. That's a real thing. Next time you see a photo in an ad with someone holding something, they're probably upside down so that you don't have any veins in your hands. It's a real thing. Now you know. Right? That's what I was doing 10 years ago to now I'm standing here. It's completely, completely insane, which is amazing, the amount of things you can get done in 10 years. But it's also really freaky because it went by like that. And those first 10 years for me were dictated by hustle. Like, that was it. If you ask me, okay, Ryan, fine, I'm going to come to New York City. I don't know anybody. How do I do it? I'd say, you need to figure out what makes you hustle, and that's what you're going to do every day. You're not going to take a day off. You're going to meet as many people as you can every day. You're going to follow up with them every single day, and you're just going to hustle. That's it. That's it. There's no work. There's no secret systems that you're going to do. That's all you're going to do. Every single day, as a realtor and as a real estate agent, if you think that your job is anything but meeting new people, you are sorely mistaken. If you think you're in the real estate business, you are sorely mistaken. I don't care about crown molding. I do not care about kitchens. I could care less about your roof. I don't care about real estate. It's my widget. What I care about is selling. And what I care about is having a career that enables me to sell as much as I want without anyone telling me what to do. No one is ever gonna come into my office and ever tell me, Ryan, you know what? You sold too much. This is not gonna happen. It's not going to affect my pay. I have a lot of friends who work in New York City, who work in finance, who do a lot of business for their bank. And if the bank had a bad year, it sucks for them. They had their annual review and they're told, listen, you did really, really well this year. But because the bank had a bad year and the economy is not really in the right place, we can't really reflect it in your pay. But stick through it. We're going to do better next year. That's a real thing. I don't want to work for anyone else but myself. And I want to feel that fire every single day because it is scary. Right? It is kind of scary. It's freaky to wake up every day and say, what do I do today? What do I do? How do I go out and make money? Do I just post listings? Do I go meet random people? Ryan, that guy talks so much. He said, you just go meet people. What does that even mean? What does it mean for you? Where can you meet new people every day? Look at the business you've done for the last year, if you've been in the business for at least a year. Figure out the most people you've met. What is that group? Go meet more of those people. That's it. That's your answer. It's not that hard. And add more hustle to it. So for me, looking forward to the next 10 years, like that's a crazy idea. I'm not thinking about 2020 as a one-off. Like I'm not thinking about what I'm going to do in 2020. Now in my mind, I'm thinking about what I'm going to do for the next decade. Because time is going to move so fast. Before I know it, 
it's going to be 2030. Nuts. It's crazy. But it'll be here before I even know it. Like, I just had a baby this year. That's crazy. I can't believe I have a baby. And now she's already eight months old. Like, it's just going to happen so, so fast. So my planning that I'm doing now is for decade resolutions. The last 10 years for me was building my foundation. And if you'd asked me 10 years ago if I was building a foundation for a career, I'd say, absolutely not. I don't know what you're talking about. Career, what are you talking about? I'm just trying to pay rent. But in hindsight, we're able to see what we really did, and then we can define it. So the last 10 years for me were foundation. And if you're in a similar position, even if you're not, look at the last 10 years and see what you really did. If you got into the business, if you didn't get into the business, if you got into the business a couple years ago, what were the last 10 years like for you? And really think back. Everyone think right now in your head. Where were you in November of 2009? Where were you? Think about it. I bet a lot of you were like, oh, weird. Yeah, I was still married to that dude. Yeah? <laughs> Things are weird. Time goes by really, really, really fast. Right? Now think about the next 10 years. And this is who I want you to work for. Okay? I want you to follow up with everybody. I want you to work your ass off every single day. And I want you to just know that you control the work. You don't control the job. You don't control the market. You don't control your clients. You control the work that you put in every single day. And you're going to take care of the next 10 years because you're going to plan for this decade. Because in 2009, everybody in here didn't have that opportunity. Raise your hand if you planned for the next decade in 2009. Did you? No. No hands are raised, right? Because no one did. No one thinks like that. But now we actually have the opportunity to do that. We can all, by the end of the day today, we're all going to write down in our phones, what's our plan for the next decade? Where do you want to be in 2030? That person is going to be you before you know it. And you're going to work for that person starting right now. Okay? And the way you're going to do it is you're going to focus on the decisions that you're going to make. All the hustle that we all use to get here every single day is now going to produce calculated, possibly risky, decisions to get you to the person you want to be. If you want to be a $100 million broker, let's do it. Anything is possible. If you want to go into another state, another town, if you want to grow a team of 50, if you want to retire, that's possible. Maybe in the next 10 years you want to be in the beach in Mexico or in Greece. You want to be hanging out. Maybe you want your own yacht. I honestly really strongly believe in the power of positive thinking because it's real. It does happen if you force yourself to remember it every single day. So going forward after today, focus on the next decade, your decade resolution. Work for that person. You will sell more next year. You will live a better lifestyle. You will make more money. I guarantee it. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Hyperfat Show. Subscribe to us if you want to make sure you get the latest and greatest Hyperfashions. And remember, we love reviews. Reviews help us bring better and better guests, improve our shows, and give us the good, the bad, and the ugly. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we will see you next time.